Good morning. Greet each of you in Jesus' name this morning. Thought maybe I'd just say a few words before we started and move into the message. Uh, this is my first opportunity to share here since I've been asked to assist Brother Claire in the bishop responsibilities here. We've been able to attend a couple times, but uh, this is the first opportunity I had to take a, uh, a morning uh, assignment. And I guess I'd just say appreciate your all's prayers on our behalf, and also thank you to your uh, your words of encouragement and your welcome to us, us uh, in this transition of responsibilities. This morning, Brother Philip has already mentioned the upcoming ordination in our district. There was a suggestion made that in each of the congregations leading up to the ordination here in a couple of weeks, that uh, there would be a message shared uh, somewhat of a qualifications message, message to encourage our thinking towards the work and towards the importance of that work. And I'd like to do that this morning. Uh, we are looking to ordain two ministers for our church district. And I think that we do well to consider several things. I'd like us to consider the reason that God has called leaders for his people, the purpose of those leaders, and our responsibility to them. I'd like to think a little bit about leadership and where it comes from where the concept comes from. And I actually have another message that I preached recently at Bethany and was actually thinking to share that one this morning and it seemed like this one was more fitting. And I'm not going to go real in-depth into, into uh, leadership, but leadership is, is God-ordained. God has ordained the concept of leadership. And we see it from early on in the scriptures. Some examples that we read about there in, in early in, in the scriptures are men like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are men that would fit in the category that we talk of as patriarchs. These men were leaders within their family units. They were men of God who directed their families. Then later, as we read on in the narrative of, of, of the scriptures, we see that God called Moses as a leader. After him, Joshua. After Joshua, there were judges and prophets. And then there came a time when the people desired to have a king. And there were kings who ruled over God's people. 
And as we look at the Old Testament examples of godly leadership, there is something that stands out clearly to me, and that is that where there was good, solid, godly leadership, God's people flourished. But where there was a lack of good, godly leadership, that is when God's people suffered a lot of bad things. They missed out on a lot of the blessings that God had for His people. And the theme of leadership is not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. And I believe in the New Testament we can see it in Jesus calling His twelve disciples to spend his earthly men to spend the time of his earthly ministry with him, learning of, of, of him and his ways. And those men became the, the leaders then of the early church. And they in turn, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, selected other leaders, ordained other leaders so that the work of, of the church of of Jesus Christ could move forward through the centuries. But what I want us to want to impress upon us this morning, through these biblical examples that we can talk about, is that God blesses His people when they are under good, godly leadership. Like I said, that we can read in the scriptures of many times where there were, there were dark times in the history of God's people. And invariably, those times were times when there was either a lack of godly leadership or a lack of submission to godly leadership. We're concerned about our spiritual well-being and the well-being of our families and the well-being of our church. We do well to consider that fact. And in response to it, to seek out godly leaders for the church and then willingly and cheerfully submit to that leadership. Because I know of no time in history in the history of God's people, that they were blessed because of a lack of good godly leadership or that they were blessed through a refusal to submit to the leadership that God had in place for them. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And I'm not sure, but I think that Brother Calvin read some of these, past, some of these verses last week maybe. But I also want to read a few verses here from Ephesians 4 to point out uh, a few things about leadership within the church. Ephesians 4, and we're going to start with verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I'll drop down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that henceforth, excuse me, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, for the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, but that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Stop there. In these verses, there's a number of important things for us. First, in verse 7, we see that Christ is the source of leadership within the church. Now, we kind of broke this passage up because of time, but in verse 7, it says that we have been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ wants us each to be working in support, supporting and advancing His church. And we see here that He gives each of us the grace that we need for what we are called to do in His kingdom. And I think that's important for us to realize in, in speaking of, of leadership within the church, that, that the, the grace, the, 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 the power from God to, to perform that duty comes from Jesus Christ. Secondly, we also see, dropping down to verse 11, that there's many different works within the church. Not all are called to the same responsibility. There's five different roles here listed, and I'm not going to look at them and the definitions of those roles, but I want us to recognize that there's different gifts and there's different responsibilities given to individual people within the church. We don't all do the same thing, but our purpose is to fulfill the Lord's purpose in building up His church. We also see in these verses what the goal of leadership in the church is. It's, it's for the perfecting and building up of the church and to bring the church to unity. That starts with us as individual members and it pulls us together in the unity of being one in Christ. We see also here the idea of maturity, spiritual maturity in Christ. And that's carried over into verse 14 where it speaks about uh, being no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's, it's speaking of, of stability that when all the winds of doctrine that blow, that we're grounded on God's Word and we aren't affected by those things. These things are the goal of leadership within the church. 
to build us up, to build up individual members to maturity, to, to a stable point in their Christian life. And when that happens, the stability of the individual members lends itself to the stability of the church. We know as the church continues to grow, as young people come on, and as other people from the world come into the church and accept the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a continual need for that building that, that encouraging and strengthening and maturing process to continue over again and again. And so there is an ongoing need for that leadership within the church. You know, only after Christ comes to claim His church will the need for earthly human leadership within the church cease. So that's a little bit of the, the reason for leadership. But I'd like to look at a few scriptural examples of choosing leadership. As I said, we can see Jesus choosing leaders as he chose his 12 disciples and trained them to become his witnesses and the, the moving force between, behind the, the early church as it started there in Acts. You know, Jesus didn't just call his 12 disciples because he wanted a group of buddies to run around with during his ministry. It wasn't for social purposes. It was for training purposes. He was training them to lead out. And then we can see in Acts how they stepped into that role of, of leadership early in the church. I'm just going to read a number of, of verses from the book of Acts. You can turn if you'd like. first one is in Acts 1. Acts 1, verses 21 through 26. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who whose surname was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this, min of this ministry and apostleship, which Judas, by transgression, fell, excuse me, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So here we see those, those disciples, the eleven that were left, seeing a need and taking action to fill that void in their number of choosing out 
another one to represent uh, and to be a leader there in the early church. Again, in Acts 6, the first six verses, we see the response to a need within the church. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I'm going to stop reading there. So we see there was a specific need, and the church recognized the need, and they and they they said, Let's take care of this, and they set out a list of qualifications for candidates. They were looking for men of good report and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Looking for men that could carry on, carry out the work at hand with integrity in accordance with God's will. They took action. They filled the need. And then what is impressive to me is in verse 7, it tells us the result of what happened it says, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see that when they recognized the need, when they went through the proper process to choose godly men to fill that need, that there was a blessing for the church. And so I think that we can see in that that we aren't ordaining leadership just to maintain a status quo, but we're, we're ordaining leadership in an effort to try to strengthen and to grow God's kingdom. There's a number of other references we could look at. Uh, I don't think I'll turn to all of these, but Acts 14.23, we have Paul and Barnabas uh, in that Scripture, they're setting leadership in place. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Paul gives instructions to Timothy on how to uh, set leadership in place. And in Titus 1, verse 5, he as well gives instructions to Titus. So we have a strong precedent set of leadership within the church and, and how it is to be done. I'd like us to consider whose responsibility it is to call and ordain leaders. First of all, turn to Acts chapter 13. I believe that we see that it is God's work. Acts 13 verse 2 says this, And as they ministered, to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. 
here we see that God, through the Holy Spirit, as the believers were together praying, worshiping, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set, a, set apart Paul and Barnabas for this work. So it was the Spirit's leading. It's God, God's work through the Spirit's leading. But we also see here that the church played a role. They were involved through prayer, through fasting. And commissioning Paul and Barnabas for the work. And I also want us to recognize that Paul and Barnabas did not take this work upon themselves but rather they were submissive to God's call that came through the church. I believe that we can see here that it's God through His Spirit that calls men to leadership, but He works through the church, through the members of the church. And I believe that in this that there is a great responsibility upon each of us as members of the church in this process to be seeking God's direction through prayer, through fasting. And I want us to recognize that each of us has a personal responsibility during this time to be personally involved in that process. As I thought about that, I had to think about, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, but so often when there's an, something like this we should be praying for, it's easy for us to just simply in our prayers say, and Lord, we remember the upcoming ordination work. And that's it. I challenge you to be deeper in your prayer for this work than that. Earnestly seek God's direction. Earnestly pray for those who will be involved in the work. It's your responsibility as a member of the church. I also want us to consider a little bit qualifications for leaders. Paul gives a list of qualifications in 1 Timothy as well as in Titus. And we're not going to take the time this morning to really look into these in depth and, and talk about these qualifications a lot, but I would like to read uh, from 1 Timothy the list of qualifications that Paul lays out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. going to read down through uh, through verse 7. Uh, we'll start at verse 2. And this says, A bishop then must be blameless. These qualifications apply to ministers as well. And then later in the chapter, he speaks about the qualifications of deacons. Uh, we're going to skip over that for now. Starting at verse 2, A bishop must then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. 
not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are, are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. I'll stop reading there. That's an interesting list. Uh, you notice the first qualification says must be blameless. Another translation says above reproach. Some of these... Uh, this list seems like it sets a bar really high. And I myself, and I've heard this from other ordained men as well, read this and, you know, it, it sometimes it almost makes you gasp, you know. How, how can I even obtain to, to, to some of this? Uh, because we're humans, we fail. My point that I want us to recognize this morning is that we need to remember that we're not seeking out and ordaining perfect people, but we're seeking out imperfect people who show these qualifications in their life. Maybe not perfectly. I had to think of the... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. You, know, you, you, you read the list of the fruit of the Spirit and you say, this should be evident in every believer's life. And I ask, are, are all of those characteristics evident in your life every minute of every day? You know, no, so often we fail in those things. So we need to recognize in, in a list like this that these are qualifications we're looking for in a person, qualifications that they are striving for in their life, that it's evident. Because none of us on this earth are ever going to perfectly attain. Another thing that I'd like to bring out in regards to these qualifications I believe that these qualifications are qualifications that all of our men should be striving to attain, for, attain to, not just those who are ordained. You know, there's only a small percentage of men who will be ordained as leaders in the church. But yet, all of us as men are in some ways a leader, a leader in our home, a leader, and maybe in another way, not an ordained leader, but a leader in some sense in the church. And I believe that these qualifications should be things that all of us as, as men are seeking to be the pattern for our life. There's another qualification that comes from the Old Testament that I think is very important. I invite you to turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22. 
And I say this is important, an important qualification because we live in a time similar to the time of prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel when, when God's people were apostatizing and God's judgment upon them was imminent. God said through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge or, or, or wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God was confronting the inhabitants of Jerusalem with their sins and here he was saying that he was looking for a man that would make up the hedge or make up the wall, the wall that had been broken down, and stand in the gap. One that would stop the flow of iniquity. One that would rebuild what had been torn down. And today God is still looking for men who are willing to stand in the gap and rebuild the walls. Men who are willing to take a stand against current trends that are threatening His church. So as we consider candidates, we should be looking for a man who is supportive of our church and its biblical standards. Someone who appreciates our church and is willing to promote our church, our conference, what we stand for, not someone who is testing the limits, not someone who is struggling with submission to the biblical standards of the church. We need men who will willingly and who will vigorously defend the, the truth of God's Word in this wicked world. And I want to consider a little more than the responsibility of the church. We've already talked about this a little. We all have a part to play in the choosing of leaders in the church. This isn't a decision of the church leaders who's going to be the next minister in the church. But it is up to all of the members to be involved. Yes, it's through God's leading and direction. But we all should be involved in the process. Making it a matter of prayer, seeking God's direction. We should be praying that God would work in the hearts of those who will call. We should be praying for the bishop brethren who will be working through the process. And our goal in all of this and in all of our praying should be the, the good of God's kingdom, the growth of the church. We want the call to be from God, but yet God uses us in that calling. So we're responsible to seek out and to nominate men whom we feel are qualified for the work. And it's an encouragement when there is good 
active participation of the, the members of the church in, in the work of nomination and ordination. So I encourage you to be making it a matter of prayer and seeking out if God would lay on your heart someone to nominate as a potential candidate. I do want to point out that it's important that you know the person that you'd be considering well enough to know that they meet, as far as you know, these qualifications. Don't just nominate without a lot of knowledge. Another thing, though, to consider is that just because you nominate a person doesn't mean that they're going to be the final candidate for that office. For a minister, we do require three nominations for a person to be considered. And that person does have the opportunity to say that they don't feel like they're qualified or they don't feel like they're called to the work. So I'm pointing that out to say that there's, there's, there's uh, don't nominate haphazardly, but yet just because you nominate someone doesn't mean that you're putting that person in. And so as God leads, I believe that he, he works in people's hearts and directs them to nominate to where we have sufficient nominations for the men that God is calling. Be willing to be a part of that process. So then another thing I wanted to bring out is and as far as our responsibility as individuals, is once the ordination process is over, the responsibility of the church does not end. We're still called to support the leaders of the church that we call. And the first way that we can support them is through obedience. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable to you. Have you ever considered how much more effective the church would be if every member was fully committed and submitted to the leadership and to the church? To illustrate that, this is an imperfect illustration, as most are. But imagine a shepherd leading a flock of sheep. If all of those sheep willingly follow where their shepherd is going, where their shepherd is taking them, the entire flock is blessed by being able to be led to pasture, to water. But if in that flock, there's a handful of sheep that continue to, to wander off here and there. And the shepherd spends a lot of his time rounding up those wandering sheep. It affects the quality of life of the entire flock. The entire flock is going to miss out on the full blessing that could have been experienced because the shepherd had to continually go and round up these straying sheep. 
believe that illustrates in some way the effect of those within the church that want to test the limits, who want to refuse to submit to sound biblical leadership. We also need to support our leaders through prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, Paul said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And I believe that every church leader would tell you that they appreciate deeply the prayers of the people of the church. Prayer that God would have free course through us in speaking and sharing his word. Prayer for wisdom and leading out in the church and giving direction. Wisdom for decisions. Another way we're called to support our leaders is through material support. We're calling men who are going to give up of their own time and their own uh, resources to provide leadership for the church. 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14 say, Do you not know that they which minister about, about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That could be a whole different discussion, but there's clear direction that we are to, to help out and support in some way those who are our leaders. So don't forget that when, when we ordain a new, uh, a new minister. This new, these new ministers need uh, not only prayers, they need encouragement. And there's a place for some material support as well. So in conclusion, today... Our, in our society, our conservative churches are somewhat unique in how we call men to leadership positions directly from the laity. But it's a biblical pattern that was established in the earliest records of the church. And I believe that it's a pattern that served us well for various reasons. And one reason is the one that I, I pointed out that I believe that all of us as men should be looking at these qualifications and should be taking them seriously and applying them to our lives. And making them the standard that we, we are striving for. I believe that it, it, it should be a time where, where we are assessing our life as men and saying, would I be qualified if God were to call me? I also want us to, in conclusion, to, again, I want to, uh, to restate the importance of all of us being involved, recognizing that we all have an important role to play in this work. challenge each of you to in the next weeks to make this ordination work a priority in your prayers and to be an active participant in the nomination process 
as God lays qualified men on your heart. And then to support and encourage wholeheartedly those who are called. 